Welcome back to Kevin Pollack's Chat Show. I am, as always, Chat Show, though not for much longer. Have you heard the rumors? Yeah, coming to a screeching halt. Ten years uh, is enough. Uh, will be the name of the next book. Those of you who brought who bought the uh, the the first book, How I Slept My Way to the Middle, not just a funny title, and technically still available on Amazon Prime. Um, I'm not writing a second book. Yeah, that's that's just the update on that. We're coming to you today from uh, the Earwolf Studios in Hollywood, California. <coughs> Last several episodes, at the end, I've been inviting folks to come on by and say hello. Uh, second floor, just walk right in, let them know I sent you. Little to no security. And when I walked in this morning, and the walk, first thing you see is a conference room, and everyone was gathered. I made a joke, sorry I'm late, and then found out they were watching a... Um, uh, a video on what to do in case of a shooter entering the building. And uh, I asked immediately, is this uh, anything to do with my allegedly humorous uh, sign-off of inviting people by? They didn't know I was doing that. And uh, just happy coincidence that they were preparing themselves. So uh, let me be more clear. Uh, when you come by to say hello and that I sent you, be weaponless. Uh, without weapon is what we're looking for. Please. Uh, no Sammy or Jamie today, but for our very last show, uh, we'll be live in front of an audience on March 2nd, 4 p.m. at the Dynasty Typewriter Theater near the Hollywood, California area. If you happen to be in the area, go to uh, DynastyTypewriter.com, I think, is the name of that website. and Get yourself some tickets while they last. Live show, Pamela Adlon, the brilliant Pamela Adlon will be my guest, plus other surprises. And uh, that'll be the last round roundup. Ten years, 400 shows. It's enough. Uh, thank you for all your support. But seriously, go fuck yourself with me doing more of these because uh, <laughs> that's, that's off the table. It's off the table. Don't put it back on the table. For those of you who give a good goddamn, the marvelous Mrs. Maisel has won more awards. Uh, it's obnoxious at this point. You know, you want uh, appreciation from your peers. Uh, that's that's high on my list anyways. And so we all go down to the SAG Awards. Uh, the cat, Several individual cast members nominated. I, of course, was not. But the cast itself was nominated, Best Ensemble, which meant I had a shot at bringing home some hardware. Finally, on this fucking thing, right? Come on. Uh, and the first three awards of the night, of the whole night, Best Actress in a Comedy, Goes to Rachel. Best actor in a comedy goes to Tony Shalhoub. Best ensemble goes to uh, the cast of The Marvelous Mrs. Bo so we won the first three awards of the night. And by the third award, it was like nine people <laughs> out of 2,000. Just <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. From my favorite Christian Bale video, good for you, <laughs> is what it kind of felt like in the room. Although Christian Bale was also there, and he's a very sweet man. And by the way, uh, those of you who have enjoyed that rant, uh, lose your mind video. I side with Mr. Bale in the uh, in the in the goings on. Fuck that DP walking around in the background. Who he asked, don't fucking walk around in the background while we're uh, while I'm while I'm allegedly acting. Uh, <laughs> fuck that guy. Yeah, no, I've been on sets where people decide to be distracting. Now uh, Christian went a bit far. He knows that. Uh, we all go a bit far, but fuck that guy, that cinematographer. Unless I need him in the next film I'm directing, and then by all means, fuck Christian Bale. You know, <laughs> what is his problem with the bad thing? Uh, let's go to your uh, your mail. I've got one uh, from from another Kevin, Kevin McKaig, 
McKeg. I've never seen this spelling. M little C big K A G U E. McKeg, right? Sure. Who writes? I love the seam. Uh, the seam. I love the seam. <laughs> I need more coffee. I love the theme song to your show, and I will miss it when you stop making new episodes. Is there somewhere I can buy it? The performer deserves some royalties. I miss your show too, I guess, Kevin McKeg. Uh, yeah. So Brian Tyler, who was a guest on this show, you can look him up in the archives. He's composed award-winning composer of motion pictures. Majorly slummed and did a, a the theme song for me, playing a, a, like 11 instruments on it, too. Recorded in his studio. It's insane. I, I agree with you, Kevin McKeg, with ridiculous spelling. Uh, <laughs> he deserves something out of the deal instead of, <clears throat> instead of the uh, limp-wristed thank you he got from me. Uh, Brian Tyler, genius beyond compare. And thank you, Kevin McKeg, for phoning in your question. Uh, yeah, I think that's it for the opening of the show. Again, um, stop by Earwolf, say hello without a weapon, and uh, and go to uh, DynastyTypewriter.com for tickets to the final wrap-up live in front of an audience. Be weaponless there as well, please. Uh, March 2nd. And th these jokes are funny, by the way, until they're not. So uh, don't be the reason they're not funny, you fucks. <laughs> uh, please welcome Mr. Gary Gullman. Gary! Yes. Uh, hello, Kevin. Hello, sir. First of all, thank you very much for being here. I know it's a thrill beyond belief for it's you, but I just- It's a thrill and it's surreal. I feel it's yeah. Rupert Pupkin-esque okay. for me. Well, I, we're going to get into that. Okay. I mean, I do want to talk about it, but first I want to <laughs> thank you for coming all the way from New York to Los Angeles just to do yes, this podcast. I mean, yes. it's a long way to go. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> honestly, I'm honored. I mean, I, I'm embarrassed- for you mostly, but of I, course. I, uh, man. All right, now let's get to the Rupert Pupkin aspect. Yes. Does that suggesting that uh, I'm Jerry Langford? Kind of. I, I mean, I, I've been a fan since since Avalon. Keep talking. As a, okay, so as a as a teenager, and I wanted to be a stand up comedian. Okay. And you were already a, a successful stand up comedian at that time, and and as you know, it is delusional, really, when you're first starting out to think you'll ever get to, to sure. To, to meet these these people, and then when you do, and and it's almost like I'm I'm acting out that scene that Rupert had in his basement yeah. with Liza Minnelli and, and Jerry. I can't give <laughs> yes, you six weeks. I can't give you the six weeks, Jerry. Yes, yes. Kevin. All right, I'll come on your show. I'll come on your your final appearances. Yes, yes. This is yeah. This is miraculous. Well, um, the uh, thank you, thank you for all of that, and. Um, yeah, I was a, a stand-up comedian in San Francisco when Diner came out. It's the Barry Levinson Roundup. You, you mentioned Avalon. So he does Diner and Paul Reiser's in it. Unbelievable. Who I'd seen I probably on The Tonight Show do stand-up. Right. And he was coming through my town, San Francisco, to perform at Cobb's Comedy Club. Yep. This is back in whatever year or so that Diner came out. Ryan, can you- 82? Uh, Let's see. This is a thing that Jamie Foxx normally does here. She is a rain man of dates for movies, as in is Sam Levine, for that matter. But our very own guest, Gary Gullman, has just coughed up 82. That feels right. But damn it, let's get uh, an answer. Um, so he's playing at Cobbs, and we'll get to you in a second. Uh, I love these stories. And uh, 
like you, I, I had seen him in the movie and I thought, I got to meet this guy. And, and also, I'm a comedian. He's a comedian. He's playing yeah. in town. Yeah. Why the fuck can't I call? <laughs> so I call the owner or the guy who books Cobbs and I say, uh, I want to call uh, uh, Paul Reiser. What hotel is he staying at? Don't bother him. I, I'm not going to bother him. I'm going to say, hello, I'm a fan. I'm going to try to sell him something. Yeah. I get the hotel. I call up. And I don't know why, but I chicken out and I, and I when he says, yes, hello, <laughs> uh, I, I go right into Peter Falk. No way. Yeah. <laughs> I decide I'm going to talk to him as Peter Falk. <laughs> and hi, Paul. It's uh, Peter Falk. Listen. Uh, the wife and I are in town, and we're driving past, I don't know, a marquee or something, and your name is on. We got tickets. We're going to come to the show. I'm very excited. And uh, wow. So he starts talking to Peter Falk. Yeah. And he's immediately enamored. Oh, my word. And is confessing he's his gushing. lifelong oh. uh, fanship, <clears throat> devotion. Oh, my word. And so it's so bad and sincere that I can't break. No. I can't because no. I don't want to be that asshole. It would be cruel. It would be cruel. <laughs> yes. But unfortunately, it's even more cruel for those of you who should ever uh, attempt this at home. Our conversation goes on for nine minutes, oh and I don't gosh. break. Wow. And at the four-minute mark, I'm thinking, there's no way out of this ever. No. I can never let him know this was me. <laughs> By the nine-minute mile, where I have to hang up. Yeah. Because he's not letting it go. Oh there's no end to this conversation. Now we're in the minutiae. We went down to the wharf earlier today. They got crabs. <laughs> big crabs. Oh and I don't know where the fuck this is going. So oh, I, this is I say, what's that? I'm yelling off to a fictitious wife. <laughs> I'm talking to the, all right, I got to go, Paul. And uh, we hang up. And now there's a little delight along with the embarrassment, along with the, oh, it's a oh, great fuck, prank. I can never tell yes. him that I did this. Yes. Because I want to still ingratiate myself. Of course. Him. And so by telling him I did this would never ingratiate me to him. It would only embarrass him, yes. and I'm an asshole. Yes. But I still want to meet him. Yeah. And so, <laughs> I and I, and I want to, I do want to eat the shit that I need to eat to get through this. Right. So I call him back, and he answers the phone, yes, hello. And uh, <laughs> I go right into Peter Falk again. Paul, it's Peter. I had to call back. Oh, Mr. Mister Falk, you know, I was sitting here, and I was thinking to myself, <laughs> I can't believe Peter Falk called me. I've, I've called three people since you called, just to let him know. And now it's worse. The whole oh, no. thing. Oh, <laughs> the my nightmare gosh. is never ending. But I can't let it go on again. So I, I mid-sentence blend from, transition from Peter Falk to me. And I say, well, listen, Paul, I, uh, this is Kevin Pollack. I'm a local comedian. I oh just feel God. fucking oh horrible. But I'm such a fan and such oh. an admirer of yours that I was too chicken to talk to you as myself. And please forgive me. And there is a very long pause, very long, to which it ends with him saying, you are not a nice person. <laughs> <laughs> Can I be honest with you? That is not, that's a horrible thing. Why would you... But then he comes around, <laughs> oh and we have a conversation, and we've been friends ever since. Really? But yes, but I, I, I. Uh, That's the greatest Danny Rose story, <laughs> to the point where it's in my act. It's I mean, I tell the story because I later, I later called him as Alan Arkin too, and, and oh. it's a whole other three act play. The whole in laws cast. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Um, yeah. So, so meeting heroes. 
you know, uh, uh, is is an odd thing. And also, you're right when you're when you're dreaming about doing stuff yes, and you're yes. watching what becomes yes. a hero. Yeah. Not only does it never cross your mind when you're going to meet them, right? Um, how does it even cross your mind that you're going to be a professional comedian? What are you, ten years old when you see Avalon? No, no, no. I I think I was sixteen, probably. Okay. Yeah. Let's not yeah. fight so early in the interview. <laughs> <laughs> Let's say you were 16. Yeah. If that's what you need. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Maybe I was, I don't know. But I saw. I what year seen, was the movie? Was it Diner? What's Diner, that? Diner was the. Diner. Yeah, in 82. 82. Oh, on the button. Right. On the button. Well, that, that. Nicely done. Yeah, that's a lot of guys' favorite movies. Yeah, I mean, if you're yeah. a comedian, uh, yeah. and yes, yes, yeah. yes. And to think that Barry, that was his first film he ever wrote. Incredible. It's kind of sick. Incredible. Yeah. And the, the cast, oh my word. It's absurd. Absurd. Yeah, no, it really is. And yeah. I would invite anyone to uh, to stop listening to this and get that film and watch it. Um, Avalon actually holds up better. Does it? Yes. Oh, I've not revisited Diner in in probably fifteen. Well, the years. issue with the Diner is the is the boogie scene with the popcorn and and it just it's yeah it's it was a aggressive. different yeah it was a different time. Carol Heathrow, you ever talked to her? <laughs> She's not a smart girl. Not a bright girl. <laughs> She's not a bright girl. You ever talked to her? You know what word I'm not comfortable with? Oh, so so nuance. I'll give you something for that. <clears throat> uh, I finally. Gesture got to work with Barry on Avalon, as you mentioned, and I asked him about that scene, yeah, where uh, Paul Reiser and Mickey Rook's character are just driving in a car, and they're driving in silence, and out of nowhere, uh, Paul Reiser's character says what you just said. You know, yeah. a word I'm not comfortable with. Yeah, nuance, nuance. Yeah. It's not even a word. <laughs> gesture, gesture. You know where you stand. <laughs> so I asked Barry what that was, and he said. Well, we did. A, it was written as silence because I like the silence of them driving. Because sometimes yeah. guys are not only comfortable enough to drive in silence, but but most often they, they there's nothing they have to say when it's just two guys. Oh yeah. So he said it was written for silence, and then I don't know which take it was, but I just leaned in the car window before Paul drove off again to start the scene, and I said, I just walked up to him and said, "You're not comfortable with the word nuance." Wow. That's all I said. Wow. Yeah. And then Paul made magic. Yeah, and Barry got magic. But I also feel, and, and I can never prove this, but that was partially a inspiration for Seinfeld and that type of non-plot driving dialogue that right. we all fall in love with, with Seinfeld. And, and I wonder if Larry, yeah. Larry, David, and Jerry were uh, inspired by that at yeah, all. Yeah, because, because it, it was, does make sense. It was kind of the first time, yeah. right? Guys yes. sitting around talking I, about I nothing. I can't think of anything. I think it was sort of heralded for that as yeah. well. Of yeah, the genuine. It was a it was a revelation that yeah. movie. Yeah, it certainly uh, influenced my acting and writing, yeah. for sure. Yeah, without a question. Yeah, and also uh, in watching your stand up, <laughs> I I see um, uh, you 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 enjoy uh, telling a story, and and departing from it with chasing some sort of uh, piece of logic or or addendum. And um, it's ultimately what I think uh, makes your onstage persona and your material elevated instantly to a level of, <laughs> uh-oh, right? Uh-oh <laughs> is, in this case, a good thing. Okay. Um, because stand-up is not only a difficult thing to master, but it's a nearly impossible thing to be original. Because we're all influenced. 
as yeah. we're talking about oh Dino and, and Paul yeah. Reiser, and in this case, yes. me. Um, we're all influenced. And, and at first, you don't really have your own voice, and then eventually you find it. But even that is rarely original. Right. And, 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 and clearly, to my point, you're not the first comedian to find a easy method by which one digresses from one's own story. Right. But when you do it, I do see a, a level of originality in the uh, childlike abandonment with which you share your thoughts and and thread of of them. Oh wow! Where, where did you find that? Do you remember? Well, I can I can talk about my influences, which were first David Brenner on the on Carson. Sure, when I was. Five, four or five, my mom with comedians on, she'd yell yeah. in the other room. Right. I'd come running. Sure. It was it was quarter past midnight. Yeah. But I would the get five year old to, needs yes. to watch TV. <laughs> yes. Tremendous parenting. <laughs> yeah. My lover, by the way. Love her for that move. Yes. Fantastic. Yes. Oh. And then she took me actually for my bar mitzvah. We went to see Carson. Now I was thirteen. You had to be sixteen to get into the From Boston. <clears throat> yes. But I was I was five nine. Or 5'10 at 13. I've always been very tall. She, she snuck me in. You had to be how old to get in the audience? You had to be 16. Okay. I was 13, but I was tall. Please. The woman said, excuse me, is he of age? And my mother cussed her out. Said, how, how dare you think that I would sneak an underage in to see always a great Mr. Move. Johnny Carson. <laughs> she went, the woman backed down immediately. Yeah. And Give respect to Johnny. And the guest was in Gary. In your rant. The guest was Gary Shanley. Oh, wow. Yes. Oh, it was wow. his second appearance. It was the one where he says oh, to wow. Carrie Fisher, do you know my parents, uh, Muriel and Irv Shandling. <laughs> yes. And one of the classics. And and that's it. I have to be a comedian for yeah, really? the rest of my life. How can I do anything else? I, I mean, so I had other, other sidelines. I just, I just, the 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 reverence my family showed to these people, <laughs> and the the power that laughter had yeah. over these bickering, yeah. shallow people was just. I couldn't. I'm, I'm the youngest child, which I think is very common amongst yeah, comedians, and I had to, yeah. and I had to entertain, and 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 that was the that was the beginning. And I I, I really connected with your interview with Brian Koppelman, where where you you decided this very very young, and yes. and I really I used to make that was cassette you too? tapes for my friends. They would pass them around in school, and and what kind of what was on the tapes? They were impressions. Really? Yeah. Of I would do characters, uh, people we went to school with. Great. Or uh, some some basic, the, the, the who, who would I do then? I, I would do- Football I coach. Would do, I would do the football coach. I, I would do certain teachers. Right. And then there were the, the Saturday Night Live characters at the time were, were like Nathan Thurm and Ed Grimley, the Martin Short characters, right. and, and, and some Billy Crystal stuff sure. thrown in there. Yeah. It was impressions of impressions. Yeah. Well, that's listen, I was doing. Yeah. that's where we- we all kind of got that. Um, Dana Carvey and I started out at the same time together in San Francisco, and we would remark that our Johnny Carsons came from watching Rich Little do Johnny Carson, yes. even though we'd watched Johnny Carson yes. our whole lot. Yes. Someone has yes. to find the key to open the thing before yes. you. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. No, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, so when you're 13 in the audience and you see Gary Shandling, that is literally the first time you say in your in your thoughts? No, I think, I think it was it was. 
brewing and subconscious from from that point. I think even in first grade, when they asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up, I said I wanted to be a, a comedian. And first grade, yeah, wow, first grade, absolutely. But then the 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 Carson, the Shanling, and and then and he was. I hadn't had any experience with Woody Allen up to that point. So right. so Shanling was probably the next incarnation sure. of a Woody Allen where he was self-deprecating, he was neurotic, but he was also having sex, which I which <laughs> I thought was very interesting and, the, and this guy this nebishy guy is also going to have have sex and at yeah. 13. I yeah. can't there's no way I'm getting sex unless I could be as funny as as Gary Shanling at the, at the third. You probably I was, wrong I was a, yes, about that. I was a, 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 not not a handsome <laughs> not a handsome boy. Cuz no. yeah, cuz most Fellas are completely put together at 13. <laughs> yeah. um, With braces and the, and the nose coming in ahead of sure, everything else. Sure. <laughs> Literally ahead. Yeah. <laughs> Leading the pack, as it were. Um, yeah. So I, I think uh, your mom saying to the five-year-old, get in here and see the comedians yeah. on. And, but there was also Merv. There was Mike Douglas in the Please. afternoon. Please. The Before Carson, I did three Mervs. In no time, like four months. Would you get recognized off those? Probably, but I don't remember because it's been okay. hundred years. Right. And also recognized by Mahjong Group. <laughs> you know, watching in the afternoon was not a yes. thing yet. Right. So Merv was very popular. Yeah, but housewives, very, there, were, there were things called housewives sure, back then. Without yes. question. Yes. I just wasn't hanging out with housewives right. when, I was, <laughs> when I was 27. Right. I hadn't figured out that there was gold in them, our hills. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, but you're right. I, too, was influenced by those afternoon talk shows when a comedian would come on. Yeah. Because Mike Douglas and Merv Griffin would have, you know, very hip yes. comics on. Yes, and, Jay. In the afternoon. Yes. But before them, even, I think, I don't want to say I saw Pryor on one of them, but maybe. I mean, Probably. You, I mean, they, I saw Brenner. They did saw, all of them. Tody Fields was my mother's favorite. I would. I love to. Uh, Joan. Mm-hmm. Incredible. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for me, it was a comedy album, but I, but I think the same thing happened where my parents what were What was the laughing. comedy album? Uh, the serial rapist known as Bill Cosby. Oh, his first out. If they just put that in the liner notes, by the way, <laughs> that would have been helpful to a ten-year-old. Maybe don't make this guy your hero. I what do I'm ten. I don't know from. Uh, no. So, but it was the same thing where your parents were. La- you see your parents laughing uncontrollably. Yes. At a comedian. Yes. And I think it's plant. The seed is planted. I yes. want to make mommy or daddy do. Yes. Do that. Yes. That had to have been. Absolutely. Sure. Absolutely. Sure. This 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 new divorcee <laughs> was laughing. Now let's jump yeah. to the first time any family sees you perform com- stand-up comedy. Oh yeah. Yeah. I was 23. Oh. I was working as an accountant for what is now Price Waterhouse Coopers, correct? During the day, and uh, I went on stage at Nick's Comedy Stop, which you performed at. Of course. Yes. And and it was an open mic and Billy Martin, who is now the head writer for the Bill Maher Mm-hmm. HBO show and before that politically incorrect he was the MC wow so he was probably like 30 sure I was 23 I went on I did an impression of Jerry Seinfeld and Kramer in a basketball game that was one the on opener one. that was the opener and applause break and it was over at any point during that bit 
Did you, in Jerry's voice, yell, shoot the ball? <laughs> it was, it was, it wasn't, just shoot. Kramer calls a charge on Jerry. And Jerry, it wasn't a charge. There was no charge. Who calls a charge in a pickup game? <laughs> Great. Yeah. And that was the, but yeah. Big laughs and mom was big there. Big laughs. And yeah, my mom, my dad, and a couple of friends from college, you had a, the, the, Billy, I remember, referred to them as hostages. You had to bring four people oh, really? to get on stage. Right. And, and yeah, and it was, they would really pack that place in in, sure. in 1993. It was, it was something else. It was exhilarating. And, and as Alan King said, you can't go back to selling shoes after that. No, no. But that's yeah. the beginning of the death of stand-up comedy. Sure. 93. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The gold rush of the mid to late 80s. Ugh. was Strip mining. Dead. By 92, 93. Yep. Um, so you're 23, you're yeah. an accountant, yeah. and you kill yeah. in front of your family. Yes. Uh, had Was that literally the first time? No. Couldn't have been. No, it was the, It was probably the second or third time. That yeah. you'd been on a professional comedy stage? Yes. Yes. Holy shit. Yeah. Had you bombed yet in those first couple times? Well, I had forgotten my my the end of my joke, and I had that to- That doesn't help. To, yeah, and I had to- Tell Billy to come get me because I I forgot my. But he used to host every Monday night. He used to hope host the open mic. So you would get to. And it this, couldn't have been nicer. That was the great thing. Yeah, that yeah. does make a difference. Yeah. Um, and the comedy scene in Boston when I finally got there, uh, was so similar to me to, to my own hometown of San Francisco in that the audience was uh, uh, endless. Yeah. In terms of going to see stand up comedy. Yeah. The, there were venues and there were yes. there were made men yeah. in, oh, the, yes. in the town. Yes, that's so true. Yeah. Yes, capos and, and yeah. yes. Big yes. yes. And um, uh, they too were somehow welcoming of new blood, uh, at least when I yeah. they were they, they, they had a sort of mentor Don attitude. Gavin. Don Gavin embraced me immediately because he found out that I had played football in college. Sure. And, and, and that was so all that he was, needed to hear. That was the connection. Lenny. And Don Gavin and Lenny embraced me and Steve Sweeney. Yep. They, they were they were very nice and very generous. A guy named Rich Seisler and Paul D'Angelo was another sure. another guy who would you would love. And yeah, they were they were so So now what do you do? You're twenty three and you kill. Yeah. Now what happens? You're an accountant. I, yeah. I, I go every morning. I have the secret life like a superhero. Yeah. Uh, th just to back things up, if you don't mind, superhero. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> Superman. <laughs> the Jewish superhero. Able to lease a tall building in a single phone call. That, wow. That is uh, an old, that is tired uh, joke. Um, I just want to catch folks up. Uh you know, there, there's research that goes into this show, Gary. Yeah. No, I can tell. And <laughs> and um, I just thought I'd begin with what my research quickly and, quite frankly, easily came up with. The following. Gary Goldman is a stand-up comedian who lives in New York City. Originally from Boston, Gary has been a scholarship college football player, an accountant, a barista, a doorman, <laughs> a waiter, and a high school teacher. Now he's one of the most po uh, popular touring comics and one of a handful of comedians to perform on every single late-night comedy program. Gary will be the next ex-Bostonian comic to break huge. C.K. Burr Gullman. You heard it here first. Rave, the village voice. He's made three TV specials and three albums. Gary's marked his 20th anniversary in stand-up comedy with 
It's about time tour selling out theaters throughout the country. It's no wonder the New York Times wrote, Gary is finally being recognized as one of the country's strongest comedians. So uh, all of that is the bio on your website. Yeah. And I, my first question is, how strong are you really? Uh, clean and jerk, what are we talking? Well, because the New York Times I don't, says one I don't of the clean and jerk anymore because of my back. Sure. You don't want to throw your back cleaning nor jerking. I would say I could probably I could probably bench press 205. If you had to guess, <laughs> thank you for your honesty. If you had to guess, what would you say the record set in 1988 by a Russian, no, no doubt, <laughs> uh, for the clean and jerk remains and to jerk this day? Would probably be the record. Over 1,100 pounds, right? 528, very close. Uh, five, okay. 582, sorry. Okay. A little dyslexic on you. And the women's, another Russian, Tatiana Kasherina. Wow. Women's. 310. 425. Wow. Right? That's remarkable. I would not have guessed that close wow. to pounds. Even in the Me Too, because this is 1988. <laughs> yes. uh, all right. So yes. my second question is, I know for me it's arguably one of the single most agonizing things creatively that I that I ever have to do and constantly redo. How painful was it to write that bio? Ugh. Right? Excruciating. <laughs> Excruciating. You don't want to. You're selling. Yes. You're, you're acknowledging your own Ugh, accomplishments. It's disgusting. Yeah. It's disgusting. And then you're and, enumerating it, and it's not that big a deal. And praying yeah. people do not know it's yes. you that wrote oh, this. Yes, I know. <laughs> and have to get it approved by my manager, and they tell me to, to build up this this part of it. And that happened? There was quotes. a notes oh, session? Oh, yeah. There were notes on the, on the, the bio because it's, yeah. Yeah, it's the worst part of it. Ugh. Yes. Um, Notice that I wrote that five years ago now, and I haven't updated it at all with any of anything that's happened since. I, I'm yeah. I'm it super doesn't matter. excited that it hasn't been updated, because that makes me feel better about not updating my own. Yeah. Why would you? Yeah. Um, uh, but there is a new tour coming out uh, this month, yes. according to your website. Yes. And uh, what's the name of that tour? The Great Depression. That's great. Thank you. That's great. Thank you. Um so now we can go back. Uh, you're, you're, you're an accountant, as we saw all these other titles that you had. But was it during the you're an accountant where the transition to I've got to keep doing the stand-up thing because it feels great? Well, th there, was, there was that. But I, 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 I think when you grow up revering these, these people – and you, you mentioned this during the, the intro about the SAG Awards, the respect of your, your peers. It's everything. You just, at some point, and, and never to the point where you're just making the, the back of the room laugh, but more importantly than the audience laughing, you want those guys, the Don Gavins. After the show. After the show Call to tell you bit. that they liked what you had to say. Or, or I wish I had thought of that. If they ever say, oh. I wish I had thought of that. Oh my God! Dunzo. It's it. Ugh. Yeah, one yeah. Of the, one of the made men in San Francisco, a guy named Marty Cohen, uh, came up to me after one of the shows and said, um, "You know, when your material catches up with your stage presence." Wow. I was twenty. Wow. Yeah, and I knew I had no material to speak of. Who does a twenty? I know, <laughs> certainly not me. Yeah. But he said, "When your material catches up with your stage presence, wow, look, look out." Yeah. That's amazing. What a but great But it was compliment. enough to drive yeah, forward of course. what I was already betting on, which was the stage presence. Yeah. So how was that part for you? Because, look, there's the naturally funny. There, there's the gregariously outgoing funny. And then there's the 
introvert, intellectual sort of, I can write, funny, and but these are all different strengths. Sure. So what was your persona like originally on stage? How comfortable? Well, I was hiding behind impressions. Yep. So that's, Same that's here. easier. Yeah. I was, I was, so all, that's all you were doing in, yeah. originally? Yeah. Wow, me too. Yeah. I mean, I kept it going. Yeah. But then it's it's interesting, and but I saw a Paul Reiser special. It all comes back to Paul. Two and a half blocks from home or something like that here at the Fab Palladium. <laughs> and... And I saw this man who I, I, and I, I had seen Seinfeld's Letterman's, but those guys wouldn't put out specials. Or no. Paul Reiser made a special. It came on at 1 a.m. after I had done a Saturday night show. It came on on NBC after Saturday Night Live. They would show an old special from a, wow. this one I think was on Showtime. And he just did his, he did his voice. He was just Paul Reiser for the entire hour. And I remember thinking of you specifically, but also Dana Carvey and to to a, a lesser extent some of the guys in in Boston. I said, you know what? My my impressions are they're okay, but they're impressions of impressions. And and I, I don't think to 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 succeed as an impressionist, I have to be better than these guys. And now here's this guy who's just talking like himself. I want to try that. I think that's, I think that's better for me. And I, I think that that would be a, a, a smarter move. Because that's a huge giant turning point. Yeah. So a year in, I throw out all my impressions and just started in my friends. You wouldn't even buffer it a little bit. No, at the top. you just went up naked. I went up naked and uh, writing that material is brand new. Yeah, but it was just I was just doing a I was just doing a, an impression of Paul Reiser's writing, right? So it wasn't it was it, Paul Reiser was sort of a, a a link between did you ever notice? Yeah. To here's what happens with me. Yeah. And these are some small things. I forget who the comic was, but someone compared the two by yeah. saying one leans in and the other leans back <laughs> between Paul and Jerry. <laughs> Paul would lean in. Yeah. And say, "Here's the thing." <laughs> and Jerry would lean back and say, I'm thinking, hey, here's the thing. I'm thinking, hey. Yeah. That was the two of them. Yeah. So you thought you would lean in and and speak your mind, but it felt a little like Paul's, yeah. was it his cadence or just his freedom to? It, it was the, the observations, but from his, yeah. from his life and his world. So it was probably sort of Robert Klein. Sure. But I hadn't grown up on Robert Klein. That was more my, for my parents and maybe my older brothers. So, right. so Riser was my, was my Robert Klein. And how did that go over? I, I bombed for, for months, but then I found this one joke and that, and that was all it took about the ropes in gym class Keep going. And the, the, the teacher would say, uh, don't run in the hallways. Instead, climb 90 feet straight in the air. When you get to the top, you're going to be exhausted. Slide down so fast, there's fire coming out of your hands. And you're worried about falling. Don't worry about falling. We've taken precautions. We've laid down these thin blue mats. <laughs> and that was the... And that was the... Yeah. That was the first... That's all I needed. You told a universal that, truth. Yeah. That I'm going to guess came from your actual life. Yes. And also... Yes. Uh, a part of your act that remains to this day, which is, how is this normal and okay? <laughs> yes. This thing that's going on. Yes. How are we all okay with it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So you found that joke. Yes. And then it killed. Yeah. And and 
Yeah. And then it was off to the races. It was I mean, I hadn't to... found my voice, but I had said, all right, these are the things I like to talk about. Right. And and at the time, the the other side of it is is sort of recognizing your limitations. I can't do as good an impression as Pollock. And I also am not willing to go as far or comfortable as going far dirty as some of these guys who go really dirty, like David Tell. I'm never going to feel comfortable being sure. as, as as honest as he is, and you can't really half-ass it. So I, I found something that I, that I could that I could go full full steam ahead with and right. feel comfortable in in myself. It just yeah. Interestingly enough, when you were five, um, I feel like that same vernacular rhythm personalized storytelling was shared by David Brenner. Oh yeah. 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 That seed was planted. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That was, that was another one of my moments like we are having here when I met David Brenner at the, the ice house in, in Pasadena. When was that? And then that was, that was in uh, October of 2000, probably around October 11th, I think, because a week later I did my first Leno and then I got a call from this voice I had heard as a kid, hey, hey, do you, do, um, um, Letterman had a heart attack. Um, and he asked me to come on. He guest hosted Letterman. Holy shit. And I was pinching myself. I'm still pinching myself. It seems anytime something like that happens, it's happening now, I feel like I'm in the most twisted video gamers world right. where he's simulating a life and he says, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mess with the Goldman kid for years. <laughs> but then these bizarre things from his childhood will come back. Yeah. And, and these will be the indications that he's in a computer simulation, much like the Matrix. You're not wrong. By the way, if uh, <laughs> if you if you start off like we did as yeah. a preteen kid dreaming but yes. while watching yes. a comedian, and then you devote your life to it, yes, and somehow get better and and fortunate enough to to get opportunities, yes, you will ultimately meet people that you idolize. I was at home. Well, the year must have been eighty four, eighty five. Uh, We'll go to Ryan again to look up when uh, broadcast news came out. Maybe our guest knows that as well. 85 or 86, I think. Okay. That makes sense because that would be the timing. I'm yeah. at home. I get a call from the now very powerful manager, Jimmy Miller, who then was- uh, Oh, my gosh. Was, was uh, the doorman at the Improv in Melrose. And most famous for being Dennis and Rich Miller's brother. Well- Back then, he was most famous for that. Okay, right. Yeah. Now you yeah, would, back then, yes. You would make now, a different yes. argument. Yes, of course. Um, uh, <laughs> now he would call them from Warner Brothers Jet. Do you do, you do a Miller? Um, Dennis, yeah. sure. Okay. But they and, all have, uh, yeah, they're yeah. all a little derivative. Yeah. Um, uh, the end, uh, I actually um, started um, enjoying um, another comedian who was i saw him open up for ricky gervais oh my friend alex yeah, yeah. exactly where yeah. we had this friend in common yeah and so alex did he tell you i, I got on him about driving the train behind the joke <laughs> yes. and
and uh, and Dennis is like the, that great example of that. Yeah. I mean, I'm so old, Bob Hope was so the, uh, but I want to tell you. Oh my God! After every the, but but the Rickles had anyway, gang. Yeah, and then Joan Rivers had. Oh sure, <laughs> oh sure. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, it's a way that the comedian protects themselves in case the joke doesn't go over as yeah, well. It maintains the rhythm. They say something super yes. fast right behind it to fill what they assume was going to be dead air. <laughs> That's the origin of the uh, yes of the driving the train behind it. Where so, does the expression driving the train, though, come from? I, I might have made to... it up. Okay. I don't know. I don't know. I just started saying I've it. I've never heard it. I just, I just started yeah. saying it because I also felt like I was bringing it to other people's attention as opposed to someone bringing it to my attention that comedians do this. Yeah. That it's that it goes on. Yeah. And um, But it's a total insecurity thing. Yeah, that's all it is. Yeah. And Dennis Miller. But I, yeah. He he would yeah. on his black and white, which is one of the great oh stand-up gosh. specials of all time. It's it's a and then my impression of him button down mind, right? Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. I mean, I I feel like the the I think you saw the abbreviations joke. That's just a sort of a modern version of of Abe Lincoln. Abe, baby, how are you? Yes and no, but it, but the truth is, um, it's great to acknowledge that sort of uh, inspiration because yeah. it's there and it's real. But then again, how do you make your influence completely original? Right. Because that was a star-making turn of yours, oh, clearly. I mean, we you. could, yeah. well, yeah, the, that was the some... stats are in. This is no longer my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, though that was a thing that our, our mutual friend Brian Kopelman uh, uh, told me to watch, and that was a thing that I told Jamie in bed when I told her uh, that I was going to have you on the show, I said, pull up on the YouTube, the YouTube. Some, someday Kevin Pollack will be bringing you up in bed, Gary. Just stick, <laughs> just stick with it. And Weinberg will be talking about you in bed. Yeah, that, yeah I will it's say. It's a twisted, delusional. <laughs> yeah. So the story I was getting at, Jimmy Miller Durman at Improv calls me at home and he says, uh, uh, Albert Brooks is here, who was my uh, uh, unattainable, right? And um, the Woody Allen of his generation. I saw real life the other day. <sighs> as funny as ever. First time? Or it's been, been a while. Hadn't seen it. Loved yeah. it the first time I saw it, but none of these movies hold up. His do. His do. Yeah. 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 It, astonishingly. Oh, my gosh. So uh, I, I think I threw on clothes. I got down to the improv <laughs> so fast, I can't be certain. <laughs> And then Bud Freeman uh, had his table, Bud's table, this round table that sits, sat in the corner of the di little dining area. And sure enough, there's Albert Brooks. And he's kind of holding court. He's telling a story. And every seat at the round table is taken. Oh, my word. It's not an empty seat. So now I'm yeah. hovering too obviously. And I'm also looking at the people <laughs> seated and I'm doing the math. Who doesn't belong? Yeah. Who should I be replacing? Yes. Um, in this case, it was Franklin Ajay. Oh, and um, car wash. Yeah, do the research. Uh, so uh, <laughs> I, he might have been the only non-Jew, but still, um, uh, I, I I just felt like um, f out of reverence and respect, anyone would want to sit at that table. So it made yes. that, of course, it made sense for Franklin or all these people to be seated there. So now I'm kind of hovering, and Albert's telling a story because his father was this famous radio comic. Uh, his stage name was Park Your Carcass. And he was very famous at comedy radio. Uh, and so he's, Albert's telling this story. So so anyways, my father's buried at the cemetery. He was a famous uh, radio comedian. And you know, those other famous people buried, buried around him. 
And then he looks up at me and he goes, Kevin, sit down. So I. Um, wow. Yeah, yeah. Didn't even know he knew my name or that I was on the planet. And then he goes back to telling a story. Uh, so so what, I have this recurring dream where I'm at my father's grave and I'm paying my respects. And uh, buried next to my father, so you know, is Mo Howard of the Three Stooges. <laughs> Kevin, please find a seat. <laughs> so now, I, so now, now it dawns on me when the second time he references me, he's fully aware there's no seat at the table. Oh, my gosh. And that I'm hovering. Oh, my gosh. So now he's doing bits. Oh, my gosh. To me for my benefit while telling a ridiculously hilarious story and holding court. Oh, my God. He's slipping out for a second and just entertaining me. And it goes wow. back to the story. So anyways, uh, uh, Mo Howard is buried next to my father. And I, uh, in the dream, I'm, I'm at my father's gravestone and I'm, I'm hunched over and I'm, I'm whispering, you know, I'm mumbling uh, my love and respect. Kevin, there's got to be a chair. <laughs> and I, um, I look over and there's, there's a, uh, Oh shit! I fucked up the joke. It's 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 Larry Howard uh, uh, who's buried there, and it, because in the dream, Mo Howard is leaning over Larry's grave, and he's stabbing two fingers into the dirt, and he's saying, "You bastard! I can't get work as a single." And then uh, then that night, he oh goes on gosh. stage and does forty five minutes stream of conscious uh, on why. And I'd never seen him do stand up. I'd only seen him do stand up on TV. He didn't really do it uh, publicly that often. Uh, and he did 45 minutes stream of conscious on why he was going to lose that weekend, the Academy Award to Sean Connery. <gasps> That's why I asked what year broadcast news came out because- For untouchables. And, for untouchables. But it was the most, and the story had just broke that Sean Connery may or may not have beat his wife at one point <sighs> or took a swing at her. Wow. And so that was very involved in Albert's 45 minutes. Oh my god! And um, it, it, it was- uh, a tour de force, and it was of course. Uh, watching something that no one could do. It was like, I mean, his real life name is Albert Einstein. Yeah, no, uh, I know. And so it was like watching Albert Einstein uh, figure out a problem uh, in front of an audience. Uh, and and every aspect of it was so genius that it was just an instant, well, I should stop. I yes. Stop all effort. Yes. Because that'll yes. never happen. But then seconds yes. later, a a relief of that stress comes in, saying, "Well, there can only be one him." Yeah. You don't. What are you? Right. Mount Rushmore? Is that where you're going? Right. Relax. Yes. Uh, sell the concession at Mount Rush Mount Rushmore. You don't yes. have to be the guy on the mountain. Right. Well, there's a. I'm sure there were a lot of bands that saw the Beatles and said, "We can't do it anymore." But luckily, Steely Dan. <laughs> Steely Dan said, "Well, we'll be the we'll be the best Steely Dan we can be." Well, and that's they have why a lot of fans, and I feel the same way because I, I've seen so many comedians like that where you watch them and you say, "Why bother?" Or I need to work harder, and that's right. yeah, yeah. Luckily, that I took that route mostly, but there were nights where where you saw some of these guys say, "Why do I why do I bother?" Yeah, I'm a fraud. This is. But that was the yeah. same moment, and that was the big struggle because we revere it so much. Right. It's the highest calling, the highest power, and if you're not doing it service, get out of the way and let somebody who can do, can do it right. Which does ultimately serve as uh, inspiration. Uh, yes, at some point. Yes, absolutely. Because you do want to. Yeah, be but it's so frustrating early on. Yeah. Yeah. When you're getting one. Yeah. Out that. Yeah. Don Gavin says, I wish yeah. I would have thought of that. Yes. Right. right. So yes. when and how do you move to L.A.? 
I got it. They used to give development deals to stand-up comedians at, uh, at just Montreal. for laughs. Yeah. Yes, and then now I feel like I've I've put the fear of God in too much with the microphone. Is his sound okay? Because now he's coming at it from St. Louis. <laughs> yeah, he sounds okay. Give a little. I don't. I hate right. to make this. What do, you, what do you think? You don't have that's, to write it. Okay. Perfectly fine. All right, Secretariat. You can just. You can just. <laughs> Secretariat. I should have named the jockey who Steve. wrote Secretariat. That would have been all right. That would have been the reference. Well, you I only know Seattle Slew is Steve Cawthon, right? There you go. Yeah, that'll work. I don't know who wrote Secretary. So, getting back to you coming to LA, Willie Shoemaker. Let's say yes because right. it should have been. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, no, too, too, too. I don't know that Willie was around. Yeah, I don't know who were the who is the. I need the uh, jockey on Secretariat. Look at how good you have to be as a jockey, right? I can name two. There have Wrong been Trump. dozens. Well, I'm going to say hundreds, if not thousands. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it's Ron Turcott. Turcotti? I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Ron Turcotti? Ron Turcotti? Is that right? Wow. Sure. Thank you for that, <laughs> yep. Jordan. Take the rest of the minute off. <laughs> um, okay. Is it to New York first? No. No? No. Directly you got from a, Boston. You got the development deal at, at Just for Laughs. At Just for Laughs. What year? I got it in 1999 That's for the 2000. I wrote it in 2000 with this with a with a showrunner, and, and it didn't get picked. And up. how horribly did that experience go? Well, I was able to quit my job as a, as a teacher finally. Yes, and so it was one of the greatest and moved in, to, in my life, and moved to Los Angeles. Yeah, and as. Yeah, and then I got another one the following year with with CBS. Uh, another one the year after with with Paramount. So and I was do you feel to, it was because these people would see you do stand up in L.A. and say, "Why don't we have this guy?" Definitely. Yeah. And and it just for laughs. It was only five minutes. Right. Over the three or four years that I got development deals, I did a total of maybe fifteen twenty minutes. <laughs> and but but there was a there was a point of view, and and I was and I was young and and cute. I think tall, dark, and handsome. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Don't take that away from yourself. All right, I won't. Yeah. I mean, first of all, you're 6'6"? Six, 6'6", six? Six, six, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So already you're down to... Right. Let's just count the Jews that are 6'6". Six, six. <laughs> Jesus, it says Dolph you. Dolph Shays. It says you. Danny Shays. <laughs> Two of them are in the same family. We're done. Omri Caspi. Yeah. 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 And the great Jewish prize fighter, heavyweight? The only one. Uh, Max Baer. Correct. Continue. Big yes. Jews for 400. <laughs> Uh, so, so you get these development deals. I always say you can't talk to a Jew about baseball for 30 seconds without hearing Sandy Koufax. <laughs> that's right. Bigger than Moses. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Of course. Yes. Um, unless you're from San Francisco and then not so much, but, uh, sure. um, you, you're getting these development things and, and yeah. you're starting to feel like, oh, I guess I'll be an actor now. Uh, yeah. Because, listen, when I saw Paul Reiser, before him, when I saw Don Rickles in Kelly's Heroes, there was a seed planted that said, funny people get to be actors. Yes. I never wanted to be the greatest comedian of all time. For And I wasn't even thinking in terms of springboard. It was, I'm going to do it all. Right. Sure. If, why wouldn't you? Right. These All these things are really fun. Yes. Yes. And they're not being a teacher. Right. They're not being and an accountant. The people will laugh at me. Yes. And but I, I will say the 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 situation in nineteen ninety nine two thousand was you only headlined in theaters if you were a, a there was Richard Jenny 
and Brian Regan. Those were the only two guys really who sold a lot of tickets who weren't on a TV series or a movie. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. The rest of us had to have credits. Yes. You had to have credits. So that, that was what I, what I was thinking at the, at the time. All right, I'll do this and then I'll be able to do as much stand up as I want. The theaters. And I'll get better. Yeah. And I'll get better at stand up. It was always in the, in the service of getting better. That was the thing I always, and did I that always dreamed of. Well, the, the issue with LA is the stage time was, was really tough to get back then. I remember one year I was on The Tonight Show twice. I was on at the Laugh Factory and the Improv, zero. I was just doing bar shows and, and coffee shops. And I, that was, it was a good thing because I said, all right, I have three nights off a week. I got into an, a good acting class. But you could was, also do the road still from those Tonight Shows. No. Already gone. Already gone. Wow. Sadly. Yeah. Well, I think that also came from the yeah. the death in the mid-90s. Yep. Where, Absolutely. Where yeah. the gold rush I spoke of, for those listening who aren't aware, um, there were these TV shows, Evening at the Improv and whatnot, yeah. where you would where you would see all these comedians do five minutes. Yeah. And um, so it wasn't just talk shows like Carson and whatnot. And they, they, a lot, you were introduced to a lot of funny people. So comedy clubs <clears throat> had to service where these people could play. Yeah. And they went from maybe 30 good, strong stand-up comedy clubs to 300. Yes. In the mid to late 80s. It yes. blew up insane. Yes. Every former disco, every yes. bar said, oh we'll have gosh. comedy night. No, yes. we'll be a comedy club. Yes. And it just blew up and went crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there was an inventory problem when that happened. Because there weren't 300 headliners. Right. So people would see funny people on TV do five minutes and kill. And then they'd go pay money to see that comedian do an hour. Yeah. And he was wildly unqualified to do an oh hour. Oh, my gosh. And yeah. these places, that was that was caused the death ultimately because there were uh, too many. Right, yeah. right. And so you come in when the death is happening. Yes. And you get The Tonight Show, which is unbelievable. Yes. <laughs> And your own development deals. You're calling home, honey. I, you, Mom, Dad, this is unbelievable. I know. Uh, they want me to do another show over at CBS now. Yeah. Yeah. And I can't get on the improv. Yeah. Or the Laugh Factory. Yep. Because they were snubbing you out of jealousy. I mean, you had an act. Right. Well, there, part of it was that you would go to the improv or, or comedy magic club used me a lot they were very they were very great but you even mike you would lacy go, wonderful people yeah wonderful people you would get a meal yep but you would go on you would host they were weird tim puppets. allen ray romano yeah a magician yep that you'd never heard of but could left yeah the room you know seinfeld's incredible. reduction of all magic no here's a quarter now it's gone you're an idiot <laughs> <laughs> With, when I told that to Penn Teller, he said, well, he's right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, so the, the, they were huge stars in L.A., and it, was, and it was tough to get stage time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We'd like to put you on, kid, but Robin Williams yeah. wants to do. And the, and the Laugh Factory was, was – I remember my manager said, he said, it's like this guy, Jamie Masada, is throwing a party, and you're not one of the cool kids, so you're not, you're not invited. And, yeah. Yeah. It was a it was a bummer. Yeah. So you can't go on the road. You can't get stage time in LA. Yeah. You've got development deals. Yeah. What are you doing? I'm I'm writing all day in notebooks, going on at, at You're hanging out with other comics. <coughs> yep. You're starting to make a peer group. Yep. Uh that consists of expats or guys from Boston, but but also 
I started to take an acting class, and that that was very helpful. That gave me three nights a week where I had some place to be, and I and I was learning acting, and 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 I felt like I had a reason to be here. Okay, I'd go on auditions every once in a while, but even that was really really hard at the time because they were transferring to to reality shows. There weren't a lot of sitcoms, and yeah. it was just your timing very difficult. is not My great. My timing was horrendous. It but, always has been. Yeah, but you're <laughs> succeeding based on your own actual talent, like the I five so. minutes at Just for Laughs. Yeah, suddenly produces. Yeah, because because yeah. you know, don't take anything away from the fact that yes, they were handing these development deals out. Yeah, not to everyone. No, no. But the thing I always think back on is is that it's the the. the the necessity idea. Stage time was at such a premium. I couldn't go on there and wing it. I had to make the most of it. So I'd spend the day writing what I was going to say that night. And and it was easier to get something that worked yeah. longer and sharper and better than it was to try out something brand new. Where if it fails, it's like, oh, there goes that idea. And I spent all day working on it. So that, So that's how I think I got into the more long form of writing. Yeah, out of necessity. And the uh I got to go back to what I feel like is prevalent and so powerful in your stand up act now, okay? And get a little more of the origin story of that, which is the ability to to tell a story and and digress and commit to the absolute minutia of where <laughs> you're digressing to, but also create characters in it. You know, like the sassy secretary, <laughs> right? You throw her a bone. Sure. And uh, <clears throat> and and making comments like, that's so her. Well, that that was a... Uh, I write down funny things that I hear right. over here in restaurants. And a woman named Jody was talking to a friend at this vegan restaurant. So you're already amongst the smuggest. And she says to her friend this, this really flippant thing she said at work. And she said, and it was clear that she was Jody. She said, now how Jody is that? And her friend said, that is so Jody. And I was like, oh my gosh, these people are talking like they're stars in this TV show of their life. And I said, I wrote it down. I never forgot it. And I, I actually tried to write jokes Just about as- that exchange and how obnoxious it was. And I said, no, this is, this is better for this woman that I made up to say it. And the, the come from you, the secretary character was when we were freshmen in college, a friend of ours had plumbing equipment and he tried to fix a leak in the, in the shower on our, in our dorm. And it flooded the entire floor. And, we created a fake plumbing company called Chief and Sons. And this woman who wasn't even aware of the plumbing going on, her name was Lisa. She became Dottie. Dottie. She was Dottie. And, and so it, it all, it's, it's memory in some ways is a curse, but in other ways it, it provides great inventory for, for jokes and, yeah. and characters. Yeah. It's, and then um, the evolution of, of writing material and and finding your place in the sun as it were yeah uh just in terms of you know there's 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 finding your original voice there's writing to your own strength and then there's oh this is the area that is succeeding most with the audience right it's all me so i'm gonna i'm gonna focus more on that yeah there's like a transition that happens right where your strength uh is, was it empowering to find? I mean, I could be derivative and say 
let's talk about the abbreviation bit. Yeah. But there has to be a moment in time for someone like me who needs it where there's a jump, where there's a personal jump yeah. in your performance. There's a jump for the audience to of recognition and and um, uh, critical mass. Right. Yes. The tipping point. Uh, yeah. As Malcolm Gladwell would would say. I I think. Well, the 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 timing here again is is off. So I I I had done the abbreviation joke for the first time when I was when I was doing that that Paul Reiser thing, where I was just figuring out, and I had this premise that most of the states start with the first the same first two letters. At least there's chunks of them. Massachusetts, been, and I had that observation, that premise, right. went on stage and worked worked on it, got it to the point where they're, they realize that they're all starting with the states and they start yelling at each other. And, and, and then over the years, I'd take it out of the shop every once in a while with a good crowd and, and it would get some laughs, but it never, there, there's this idea and you've gone through this, I'm sure, where it's a great joke. I can't find an ending. I can't even, why right. should I even bring it out if I can't find an ending? Right. So I'll keep working, trying to find an ending. But you have to workshop something like that on oh, stage. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. So I, I had always workshopped it on stage, but never got to the point where I could put it on, on TV. It was also too long. It was seven minutes and, and the shows only give you four and a half, five minutes. And, and my manager had taken that joke, just a, 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 maybe an audio or maybe at the comedy seller video of it to all the late night shows, only Conan, the booker at Conan, J.P. Buck, said, I want, I want you to do that, and you can do it as long as it takes. I want you to do that. I went into the hospital for depression and anxiety in May. Sure, of course. Okay. <laughs> as one does. Came, came out three weeks later, feeling better. Sure. He says, okay, can you do it in July? I said, well, it'll be one of my first shows back from, from the, the, the bug house. <laughs> But I'll I'll do it. Uh huh. Did it? Didn't feel any different. The one thing Conan said, "Wow, that was like something Bob Newhart would do." And Conan, I do you on the air or, or no? Off, you know, in between. He said, wow, that was like you. yes, that that was like something that reminded me of something Bob Newhart would do. One that of was, the all time greats. Yes, a Mount Rushmore and, guy and somebody who I idolized not only as a stand up but the original Bob Newhart show and then Newhart were forget just, it. Talking yeah. about a comedian owning his yes. world. Yes, and also the idea that a lot of that, the, the great comedians you feel like, oh, the, he wrote that for me because nobody else would, would get this. Sure. And so it didn't play that well in the, in the room. The applause wasn't raucous or anything like at that. At Conan. Yeah, at Conan. And I, I, I never go online to see what the people say. I don't want to hear it. See no, why views would? Or that's anything. a horrible I myself idea. insane. Yeah. And then... Also, well, who gives a shit? And yeah, and then... Um, I continued to spiral into a, another depression because it was like, that's the best I'm ever going to write. And nobody even noticed. And then Patton Oswalt wrote this really f nice complimentary post on Facebook. And all of a sudden it was, it was sort of, yeah, that's the thing I'm most, most known for. Yeah. Patton Oswalt wrote yeah. something on Facebook. Yeah. So months I later, <clears throat> I can't believe I've just seen this, this is, and it was like... Yeah. Yeah. It's what you want, but would never think no, possible, nor, no, nor it would ask. Be, it would be sick. 
Yeah. Because he obviously took a lot of time and yeah, it was, it was ridiculous. It was a knighting yes. by a married yes. man. Yes. Yeah. Yes. At the highest level. Yes. In a personal way. Yes. Like, uh, it made it his, uh, yes. uh, you know, life fulfillment. Yeah. And, it, and, it, and it's like, it didn't, it probably took him some time to formulate that and everything like that, but you can't imagine what, what it did for me as a, it, it was just, it made me feel like, oh, even if it's just him, I'm, I get it. I'm doing something right. And yeah. what are the first inclinations of uh, that, it, that it had an effect beyond you being told, have you read what Patton Oswalt wrote about? Or did he tag you and you saw it instantly? I saw, I've never been on Facebook. I, don't I saw it a couple of days later. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And what are the first inclinations that, that a larger group of people had? Not only seen his post, but then followed it by watching the. I appearance. just I think somebody in my either my manager, I only had a manager at the time. I I think he said, "Have you seen this?" And and I looked at it, and and it was two million views, and then a couple days later, it was five million, and yeah, and I was and then was like this is ridiculous, yeah. Yeah. And how does show business come calling from that? Because I think this is an interesting modern <laughs> tale in that regard. Yeah. Right? Yeah. There, you know, I remember uh, the third time I was on Mer Merv Griffin. Okay. He loved comedians. Yes. <clears throat> There's a thing on YouTube where he has Jerry Seinfeld on. And Merv, who loved comedians, would say, oh, Jerry, you've, um, you've, <laughs> you've, brought, you've brought a few comedians with you today. <laughs> and the camera showed me and Larry Miller in no suits way. at the back of the room watching. You can see this on YouTube. And Larry <clears throat> and I are sort of nodding <clears throat> in suits because you would bring comics with I you. I always do that. It's the best part of the, yeah. the thing. You and then you introduce the them to them. the booker, and, the, and yeah. it's not as big a shock to the system when they do it themselves. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, it certainly led to my getting the Tonight Show with, with Carson. Yeah. But, and then at one point Merv, you know, says that and Jerry says, yeah, you know why they're back there? They're waiting for me to take ill. <laughs> um, but my third time on, Merv brought me to the couch, that spontaneous panel thing. And Alan wow. King had already been interviewed. He was the first oh guest out. Oh, my gosh. And, and so being in that moment where Alan King on Merv Griffin says, this kid's going to be somebody, that would be the modern, wow. the old-timey version yeah. of this Facebook post. Yes, yes. So I'm curious what yes. the modern version of that 5 million views and what, and, and, and so does the phone ring at the agency and the management or well, how, what what does that actually mean? Yeah, that's interesting. Other than I, I making you feel like a million dollars. My, my agent... At the time was a man who represented, I, I want to say, Arcade Fire, which I hadn't heard of un, until him, but they're, they're an arena band. Very big. Yes. Sure. Uh, but he was a fan of my comedy, and he said, listen, I know nothing about comedy, but I know small rock clubs, and I can I can book you into those. I think you can sell 300 tickets just about anywhere. And, and from that... It was something earlier. It was a joke about role playing with my with my girlfriend that mm -hmm. this guy had had really clung to, and that was probably a year prior to the to the abbreviation. He says you have a you have enough fans where you can sell a couple hundred, three hundred tickets in Boston, where I where I started off. I can sure. sell a theater, but the small rock clubs. This will be the, some of the other guys were were 
doing it and right. and it'll be perfect for you and 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 that's and then I had I had a career as a as a touring comedian. Yeah. And, but so the effect from the patent post though. Oh, that from 300 to 600 to to in in some places more more than that. Yeah. Right. It was and and also sadly I got an agent who actually could send me out on auditions and and Sadly? I could, well, I hated to leave that guy who was a fan and had taken time out of his booking huge rock rock stars. But he'd been around long me, enough to know yeah. <clears throat> all my acts are bands. Yeah. I yeah. thought this kid was ridiculously great, so I'm going to help him. He, right. he had to know yeah. there was a... Perhaps. Yeah, no, get, letting go of management and agents at various points in your career yeah. um, is uh, horrible. Yeah. Uh, if you're a caring person. Right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I, I even stayed with one longer than I should have. Oh, we all, And I look yes. back at ridiculous opportunities called that being nice. could yeah. have come yeah, my yeah, way yeah. if yeah. I just cut the guy with the ponytail. Oh, and <laughs> <laughs> I had a guy with a ponytail, too. Yeah. We'll talk off air. It might be the same guy. Oh, my word. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> um, there's a segment on the show called Famous Questions. The questions themselves, not famous. Okay. I reach out to famous people that know you, and oh, I wow. ask them to write a question. Uh, calm down. It's just Brian Kopelman. Yeah, that's what I The co-creator of Billions yes. and so much more. Um, who writes the following question to you? What was the good part of being the only Jew on the BC football team? The good part. Being the only Jew? I mean, Jew we can assume what the bad parts were. On the BC football team. I am going to say that is it I had a very, me, forgive me for interrupting, to assume this is Boston College, because I yes. don't want people thinking you were part of the before Christ football team <laughs> <laughs> that toured no. and no. played other. <laughs> no, Boston College. Okay. Right after after Doug Flutie had won the Heisman. Sure. So it was it was a prominent football program. They they still make bowl games, but they, they were the toast of New England at the time. Yeah. The best part, my greatest memories of being part of that was there were a dozen or so guys on the team who thought I was the funniest thing they'd ever been around. Yeah. And I wasn't a great blocker. I didn't have the best hands. I was athletic. I had played basketball. There were 90 football scholarships. I had an NFL body. But my brain was—I wasn't a killer or anything like that. I, I was—I was just athletic, and and you know, from playing basketball, tight end. What were you? I was the tight end. Yes. Okay. And and so there were a dozen guys, at least, who thought I was hilarious, and I would entertain them during practice. Practices are grueling; they last for three hours. It's freezing or hot. There's right. nothing in between, and I would make these <laughs> these guys laugh. And who were it, killers? They were killers, and then there was a, there was another thing. I I don't know if this this I I don't want this to come off the wrong way, but there's 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 something in Jews that we love to make the non Jews laugh. Sure, like it must be a defense mechanism. That if we can make them laugh, they won't kill us. Kill us. Yeah, <laughs> yes, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. So, 
<laughs> so there's such a great feeling. It's it's there's a survival yeah. to it. I'm making them laugh. I'm not. Right. I'm not, I'm not really pulling my weight as a as a football player. <laughs> Don't I'm forgive entertaining me. them. And I remember the the strength and conditioning coordinator. He recognized my wit, and and it was just that was the best part of being part of that team. And I'm still very friendly. There were there were certain guys. There was one guy who I'm still friendly with. He was the quarterback of the team. He was on the cover of Street and Smith. He was a fifth year senior when I was a freshman. And I have no idea why he took a, a liking to me because he was big man on campus and I was a putz with with a um, a mullet sure. at the time and and we're we're still friends to to this day and and it's just a, his name couldn't have been less Jewish his name is Mike Power sure yes and he was the big man on campus and he and he but it's what a great quarterback name by the way oh perfect perfect and his son's name is max power sure and he yes well that's a little jewy <laughs> it, is. it is yeah so it, so that was the best part of being on that on that football team the 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 it was a good audience. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a great answer to a great question. A very strong question. Yeah. Very specific. Very specific. Um, I'm going to, uh, uh, there's the next segment of the show is called ask Kevin. Uh, you're allowed to ask me any question. It can be silly or sincere or neither. Um, but you are allowed to ask one question. Okay. All right. I don't, I don't want to make you uncomfortable. I, 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 I'm, I'm not sure there's a way for you to do that. Okay. Did you feel when he says, who's going to protect us? You, you Weinberg, did, did you, that's obviously that's a real anti-Semitic anti moment. Yes. And, and I have this thing. I, I don't know if Brian Hoffman told you, I made up this thing called the, the, it's an award for stereotypical performances of Jews. And I don't think Weinberg was a stereotypical performance right. in that. I think that was an anti-Semitic moment, but you weren't, you weren't a Schmendrick and a Nebish and you were strong and you were in the Navy <laughs> and you were, and they were very yes. little, they were very, yes. yeah. Okay. Other than so, the ordering of Kung Pao chicken, yeah. there wasn't a lot. <laughs> you got any Kung Pao? There wasn't a lot of Jewy in Weinberg. You're right. So why, also, our characters only meet for a second in his office. Yes. We shake hands. We do not share words. Yes. There is no reason for him yes. to single me out. No. Doesn't know me from Adam. No. Just wants to make a point. Yes. Who's going to do it? You, Kathy, is the Jew over there yes. going to do it? Yeah. Yes. My, sure. my friend Hurwitz and I go back and forth. Weinberg becomes the thing in our life where we say, who's going to, yeah. All right. So I created this award show. It's called the Kikes. <laughs> and, and recently we gave John Torturo a lifetime achievement award for his wow. work as some of the kikiest kikes. Yeah. And cause Brando used to say, they never show the, they never show the kike. And I say, they mostly show the kike. <laughs> they rarely show somebody like Weinberg and, and, but it's, I don't think, and maybe you're at that level. There's got to be a surreal moment where you're like, Jack Nicholson is fucking with me because he's so committed, he's so real. Yeah. And and did you feel? Oh, that did that hurt? Well, um, first of all, great question. Okay, good. And and felt from your bone marrow, uh, this question comes because it hurt me as a Jew, <laughs> and I wasn't sitting there. <laughs> I was like, this is how we're perceived. Yeah. By well, written by a Jew who who wanted that moment. To be what it was. Yeah. So um, there's no way me, the comedian who somehow 
became an actor with no formal training and somehow found him set on the set of this masterclass yes. and, and pulling it off. Right. Right. Yes. There's no way there was ever a moment where I was thinking this is painful. It was too much of a daily celebration. Wow. Uh, the material, the character, all that moment, I knew what it was meant to be. Yeah. Right. But there's not even, there's not even a reaction shot. Right. From Weinberg. I yeah. don't think. I think it's just him attacking Tom. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And breaking Tom down, Tom's yeah. character, Caffey. Also, the surreal moments. With but they must have shot your angle at, at some point where you sure. did it. Yeah. Yeah. And the only thing I'm capable of doing and found to a a point of, of perfection is less is more. Oh, my gosh. I do nothing. Yeah. Until my current job of of which I'm assuming it was going to be up for a kaiki, the marvelous, <laughs> the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, because I'm finally playing a loud, obnoxious Jew, which I've never done before. And I will tell you, it's not. Doesn't right, come the brothers K were not kaiki. It doesn't come yeah. organic. No, the brothers K were not. Yeah. I mean, uh, Izzy uh, or, or my character in that was. Um, he was a little. He was a showman. He's more of yeah. a showman than and an entrepreneur. But and also, the, yeah. I had Lou Jacoby. Oh my God! You cut the turkey you without the me. Turkey. Who That's, I'm now channeling it, yeah. as Moish Mazel for sure. Really? I'm channeling Lou Jacoby and Richard Kind, basically. <laughs> uh, but uh, also, Nicholson was so surreal as Jack Nicholson yeah. in moments right. that have made it into my act, where he hit on my mom. Oh my! Just Lord. to freak me out. Oh, my word. Uh, <laughs> yes. And also this moment. Um, do you have a minute? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because it really was, and it took me a long, I, I told friends this story for maybe 10 years before I ever thought about doing it on stage. So while we're shooting A Few Good Men, the story breaks that Magic Johnson is HIV positive. Right. And in that moment in time, I'm I'm telling you listeners, and I, I promise you, it was uh, as earth-shattering to the uh, human conversation as 9-11. And don't write shit about me. It's the truth. No, it was yeah. our Kennedy up to that point. My generator, because I wasn't alive for, for Kennedy, but I remember where I was in my dorm room yeah. when we found out. Well, because yeah. before Magic Johnson, it was their problem. Yes. It was the gay community's problem. Yes. And, and mankind as a whole... Wasn't concerned at all. Yep. They were selfishly disassociated. Yeah. When Magic Johnson, a very high-profile uh, family man, contracted yes. it, yes. every human being yes. thought, oh, fuck, now I get this. Yes. And so while working on the movie, we had a Lakers authority in Jack Nicholson. So while the world is going through this moment, I would see throughout the day crew members going up to Jack and saying, how? How did this happen? What does this mean? Like, literally, he would have the answer. Wow. Um, and <clears throat> he was so iconic <laughs> that I had chosen early on uh, uh, to leave Jack alone throughout the production. I wasn't going to try to make small talk. Other people did. They had a great time with him. Uh -huh. I uh, stopped myself from having certain moments of fun simply by just leave the man, leave the fella alone. Wow. I had such reverence and yeah. respect. But he was very goofy and gregarious, way more than you would think. Wow. So one, on the day that the news broke and people are lives and thoughts and, and personalities are weird that day, I, I'm released from set to go cool my heels in the trailer while they set up a shot. 
I'm walking from the soundstage back to the trailer at the Culver City's lot, uh, uh, Culver Studios, rather, where they shot Gone with the Wind and Wizard of Oz and all kinds of things. And I'm walking back to the trailer, and I hear someone behind me mumbling while I'm walking. I turn back, and it's Jack. And he's also been released, and he's about five feet behind me, and we're walking sort of in tandem. But he's behind me, and he's mumbling to himself. It's surreal. The whole fucking thing is surreal. <laughs> It's just fucking surreal. And he catches up to me because I purposely slow down. Yeah. <clears throat> and we're walking in stride, and he gets to his trailer, and he puts his hand on the door to go inside, and he stops, and he turns back to me. He goes, you want to know surreal? And uh, I pop out of my own brain, and I think, I'm sorry, Jack Nicholson, did you just ask me if I wanted to know what you think is surreal? <laughs> and I cup my hands underneath my chin, <laughs> settling in for a good story. <clears throat> and Jack says to me and no one else, I'm doing this picture Chinatown. <laughs> and uh, uh, I'm rehearsing this scene. Uh, uh, John Houston's character and mine are, re are, are having a conversation. And you have to understand that uh, John was like a, a, a surrogate father of mine. He meant the world to me. I, I, I groveled at his feet on a daily basis. I cared more about him than my own family. And uh, while we're rehearsing the scene, I, I, I noticed uh, over his shoulder, about 50 yards away walking towards us, was his daughter, Angelica, uh, who I, uh, well, I had just started banging a couple of weeks before. Come on! And I, I had not oh figured out a way to tell the old man. You know? Oh, my God. I didn't want to break his heart. I didn't want to, uh, 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 he would never speak to me again. I didn't want to, I would have killed her if that's what he wanted. <laughs> he meant that much to me. And uh, anyways, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about all of this while we're rehearsing the scene. And I realize it. And I come out of my own thoughts back into the rehearsal as John Houston in character says to my character, Mr. Giddish. Are you sleeping with my daughter? <laughs> now that's surreal. Oh, and Jack spins on his heel and walks word. into his trailer. And I'm standing in an empty parking lot thinking, did anyone else see that? Oh, my. Looking for a witness, basically. So when you ask, uh, what am I thinking in the moment where he calls out my Jewy character? <laughs> all I'm thinking is that moment. Yes. That uh, Jack just shared this incredible personal story that, again, we had not really created a rapport. Right, but uh, it's incredibly personal. He needed to tell someone. And epic. <laughs> epic beyond proportion. And the reason I think I never brought it on stage for 10 years or more, probably way more, is that it was his story. This happened to him. Right. Who the fuck am I to retell? But the story I tell on stage and just now to you is yeah, what happened to me. Yeah, but don't share it with the me. master impressionist. <laughs> but also what happened to me yeah. in the parking lot yes. was Jack Nicholson laying yes. the story on me. Yes. So but I, nobody does the Nicholson you do. Well, it's it's uh, conversational. Yes. Yeah. That's the hardest one to do. I That's, don't like the uh, yeah the character. character right, of course. Uh, cartoon. Yeah, that everybody else does. But yeah. The, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Um. Wow. But so thank you for asking, Kevin. That was uh, led to uh, a story that I maybe not have told on this show, but uh, it's been 10 years, so probably. Wow. Um, okay. Now, I should mention before I get to the next segment that you you are re-mentioned. You are starring an extensive tour. Yes. Uh, and people should go to garygullman.com for all the dates. Yes. You're all over the place. Big, beautiful yes. theaters all over the, the country. And um, 
I'm super excited for you. Oh, thank you. As yeah, a, that's as so a, nice. As a new fan, I feel oh, a little way behind the curve. No, you're not way behind on the, the new the, fan. The, the curve the, that's, aspect. That's really nice. It's it's. I, I I was hoping they'd find me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you've got three albums and three specials, so I'm yeah. assuming what I didn't know was this is kind of this level of success has kind of been going on for several years. Yeah, but I'm still way under the radar. Criminally underrated. <laughs> <laughs> That's on the one sheet for the tour, isn't it? Criminally underrated. Please welcome the criminally underrated. Yeah. Oh, man. But like we said before, I've had the respect of my peers for a long time. And that, and that, while you can't say that at Thanksgiving dinner, right? I have the respect of my peers. Nobody cares. They well, want to know that you're. I'd like to think that it, it fills some of the darkness. Yes. When we go there. Yes. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It uh, matters. Oh, man. It feels terrific. Yeah. yeah. And as you continue to sell out theaters and play around the world, as our, I'm going to assume our friend Bill Burr does, um, there's that time on stage that is magical. Oh, my gosh. That is, uh, you transcend to uh, yeah. uh, all the childhood dreams, everything at all. It's all in those moments. Yeah. If you're present, if yes. you find a way to stay present. Yeah. Um, so I wish you that. Oh, thank you so much. That joy and success. That's a great wish. Thank you. And now it's time for Kevin's pop quiz between five and 15 points possible for each of the three questions. Once the final score is tabulated, it'll be posted on our website along with the current standing of the top 100. Are you ready? <laughs> this is a whole show. I could do this for a whole show. I love this. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. We'll see about that. All right. Question number one. Yes. Keith David or David Keith? David Keith, officer and gentleman? Correct. Yes. David Keith. All right. We'll go yeah. with that one. All right. Um, Carl, question number two. Yes. Carl Weathers or the weather in Carlsbad? Carl Weathers. Also correct. Yes. Question number three. Steve? No. It's a perfect score. It's a perfect <laughs> score. Oh, my God. <laughs> Sammy Kiefer, the engineer, came in just for this portion of the show. Came in from another studio. It's a perfect score. And as such, filmed on his camera phone. <laughs> With the Milwaukee Brewers. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So you know he means it. Yes. He brought out his Milwaukee's Brewer yes. phone. This is a baseball fan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, congratulations oh, thank you. on the score alone. Thank you. Uh, but also, thank you so very much. This couldn't have gone better. This is, yeah. <laughs> no, not or for my needs, couldn't have gone better. Well, the, yeah. From my end, this was so fun. So thank you for all of that. I, I'm just going through, to, you know, since I'm out of shows and out of time, I guess we'll just have to break bread at some it's point. It's one of those dreams you never would have made because it wasn't when you first started off comedy. Yeah, I want to do Podcast? An interview show with Kevin Pollack. And sit, sit with him yeah. for an hour and a half. Yes. Oh, my gosh. How did that happen, by the way, the hour so and a half? Fun. I don't see how that flew by. Possible. Um, all right. Well, thank you, Gary Gullen. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. My gosh. I'm pinching myself. Please continue to have uh, a tremendously good life. Oh, you too. Won't you? I will. I mean, it's pressure now. I will now. <laughs> um, I didn't go further down the... Uh, I just gotten out of the hospital thing. I assume that's something you talk that's about. That's something I cover in the Great Depression. The Great <laughs> Depression is the odyssey of my my breakdown and recovery. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I unfortunately bring everything back to me. It's the only way I know how to talk. I directed this little um, 
documentary called Misery Loves Comedy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I yes. interviewed uh, 60 or so annoyingly famous funny people with the thesis you have to be miserable to be funny. And the, yes. what I found through, it's technically still available on Amazon. What I found was that um, you had to have suffered misery, and that's a human experience. Everyone goes through misery at some point to varying degrees. But the artist has to go through it and then find a way to articulate it in an entertaining way. Yes. To either be universal, Seinfeld talks about the missing sock in the dryer. Right. As as much as minutia as that is, it's still a form of misery. Yes. That's universal. Yes. Or yes. so personal that yes. the audience has never experienced it. They just sit back and live vicariously through the storytelling of it and hopefully laugh their asses off throughout it. So the cathartic level yeah. for you and this new tour this new show yeah must be astonishing and it, but it, it took forever to write i'm guessing well the thing is is that i had luckily my depression and anxiety had never gotten in the way of me performing the adrenaline would kick in i'd get on stage i'd feel good for an hour get off and collapse and then in 2016 that that stopped happening i would get on stage i would shake I would get stage fright. I couldn't remember things. It it just it wiped me out, and and very quickly the the necessity again came to my aid. When I did do stand up, I couldn't ignore what yeah. I looked like and my shaking. I had to talk about it. Wow. And and also you have this obligation to be funny. Yes. And that's what. And so eventually I was able to recover, and I had this 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 thing, this new, this new thing, because I had dealt with the minutia mostly for, for most of my career. Sure. And, and, and you knew a little bit about me, but none of the bad stuff. But the bad stuff forces yeah. itself out on stage. Yeah. And it forces you, yes. who had honed all the comedic instincts on how yes. to make anything funny. Right. <clears throat> That's the thing. Yeah. Uh, when folks ask, where do you come up with the material? The truth is, once you find your voice, everything's material. Oh my gosh. Everything. It's so true. So you are, have this debilitating uh, you just have to find your voice. That's it. That's all you got to That's all you got to do. <laughs> Break away from the other assholes who inspired you. Uh yeah. So you so it forced it, the monster forced itself out of your yeah. face yeah. and into the microphone. Yes. And well, yes. congratulations on getting to the other side of that. Oh my gosh, I'm so yeah. grateful. I can't tell you. Uh, well, of course. It's miraculous. I mean, I'm glad you can't tell me. <laughs> you should tell the audience who paid to see I it. I do tell the audience. I'm not going to ask for material here. <laughs> uh, but I, I I, never know how personal to get into that story. You know, that's what Mark Mayer and other people do. They can't wait for someone to trip over a dark part of their lives so that he right. can do an hour and a half on it. Yeah. Whereas I w always went the other way. But it reminds me of the, the Engelbert Humperdinck joke. Did, 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 the joke about... The two Siamese, the Siamese, tw keep talking. The conjoined twins. You've never heard Who's this joke one. This? It's an old joke. Okay. All right. Conjoined twins. They're incredibly beautiful, incredibly talented. One is a pianist, the other one is a violinist. They don't agree on a lot of things, but they do agree that their favorite performer is Engelbert Humperdinck. They read in the newspaper that Engelbert is coming to town. They get front row situation where they both can sit, obviously. They're conjoined at the at the hip. And That's helpful. Yes. And so they sit up front. Engelbart notices them. You can't not notice them. He invites them back to his hotel room. They have sex. One's playing the piano while the other one's servicing him. One plays a violin while the other one is servicing him all night long. The next morning... Engelbert goes back on town, he kisses them both, thanks them for the most amazing night of his life. A year goes by, 
Engelbert is coming back to town. One of them says, Engelbert is coming back to town. She says, we should go and see him. And the other one says, I don't know, you think he'll remember us? <laughs> and, and that's the thing with, with those deep podcasts where you open up your life to these people, but they're actually doing that with a lot of people. And, and yeah. while I know Mark, I could see where you go on those things and, and say, I, that's the guy I told about my hospitalization. You, you think he'll remember me? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I don't want it to come off at all uh, like I have anything but reverence for oh, no, what I, Mark does. Oh, I adore it, him. It's yes. astonishing. It's incredible. And, and, but also, uh, it comes from a place like mine does in the sense that we're in, we've been in the trenches together. Yes. So yes. Mark is looking for more darkness. Yeah. Uh, while right. while easily talking about his own. Yes. And uh, it's a revelation, clearly, the world over. And, yes. And all the success that has come to him yes. was earned simply yes. by creating his own design yeah. from what he knew and who he is. Yeah. And that's all any of us yeah. are hoping and for. And so natural. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, but my thing is always to to leave people alone with, <laughs> with, with so when you brought it up, that yeah. opened the door and even right. still you see, yeah. it's still none of my business. So I'm glad that you're... But I had a therapist who said, if you, if everybody knows these things about you, you've got nothing, they've got nothing on you. It's no more terrible yeah. secret and, life. And, and the reward for it has been a lot of people come up to me after the show and say, that made me feel less alone. It made me feel better about my my thing. And and that's, I get of so course. much out of it. It's, it's, it's not one-sided. Yeah. The yeah. question will be, how do you, uh, I don't want to say go back, but how do you, when the tour is done and right, maybe the special's right. done yeah, no, and you have to write point. a whole new act. Yeah, that's a great point. Is there always going to be, uh, I would say yes, there are always going to yeah. be some of that Yeah. while you write the new act. Yeah, so it'll be, it'll be, continue to be personal, but, but also, and, and you do this so well, it's a, it's a really nice collage. Yeah. It's not just impressions. It's not just stories. Yeah. It's yeah. We're, we're eclectic in our, in our tastes in comedy. And, and I think our, our, our shows reflect that. And it's, and it's, I think it's very compelling. Oh man. Um, well now lifelong fan, <laughs> I hope you are too. <laughs> check out, uh, Gary Gomez. He comes to your town, wherever that may be. Um, and thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Kevin. Uh, sit there uncomfortably, please, while I wrap things up for the <laughs> folks at home. Okay. Uh, Ryan Connor, ladies and Jews, engineer of the stars. Thank you, Ryan, for all that you do and have done for me today. Thank you. Um, I didn't mean to be uh, dismissive. I meant to be funny when I said take the rest of the minute off, just so you know. I know I got that. Yeah, it's purposely dismissive for the purpose <laughs> of laughter. Uh as my dear lifelong friend Bobby Slayton, who I owe a call to, would say, you know, if you can't make fun of yourself, make fun of other people. <laughs> uh, there you go. Um, all right. So we're, we are so winding down to the final handful of shows. The last live one will be March 2nd. If you hear this before that and you can get tickets to the Dynasty Typewriter Theater. Uh, the, oh, the whole original gang will be there. Evil Dr. Chen will be there. The floor director. We'll be uh, shooting the thing on the video. You can watch that on uh, KevinPollock.tv eventually or the YouTube. Um, I want to thank Corey Levin and Post and the fine folks here at Earwolf who now know how to protect themselves from you. Until next time, and as always, get out of my face. <laughs>
Hey, this is Arnie Niekamp from the Improv Fantasy Podcast, Hello from the Magic Tavern. I fell through a dimensional portal behind a Burger King in Chicago into the magical land of Foon, and I started a podcast. Season three has just begun with a brand new adventure to defeat the Dark Lord. If you're a new listener or you've fallen behind, season three is a great jumping on point. And we've got great guests like Justin McElroy. I sound like a fancy college professor. Eight nights. <laughs> Rachel Bloom. You all see my collection of men corpses and one woman. Felicia Day and Colton Dunn. You've seen <coughs> me have intercourse with a variety of species. It's a bummer. Andy Daly. You have the members of Genesis listed, but Phil Collins yeah. has crossed out and then circled and crossed out again. Uh, yes, I have killed Phil Collins twice. Thomas Middleditch. <laughs> Oh, Jesus! I mean, Jazos! <laughs> ruler of the Eighth Circle! And that's just the beginning. Season three of Hello from the Magic Tavern is out now. Listen in Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.